welcome to the Thrive Podcast. I'm Kathleen Drennan, corporate executive turned creative entrepreneur. In this podcast, I'll share all we've learned about marketing, money, and managing your mindset. I'll provide you with the tools and templates you can use today to grow your business and move one step closer to creating your best life. Ladies, you got this. Hello, friends. How are you today? I should never sing. It really doesn't end well for anyone, particularly me. Actually, probably particularly you when your ears <laughs> really not good. Anyway, how are you guys? What's going on? Do hope that you're having a wonderful day, and I am curious to know what you're up to today. Would so love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram at littlebirdbloom. Or if you are so inclined, visit thrivepodcast.co and just shoot me a little love note. I'd love to hear from you guys and love to see where you're tuning in from. Read where you're tuning in from. Hear where you're tuning in from. So anyway, getting messages from literally all over the world and I'm a little bit astounded, but we are just running with it. You know, just I haven't got everything sorted out and it's not perfect, but I'm just trying one step in front of the other and hoping we land in a place. And today I thought I would spend a little bit of time talking through with you um, what an actual production timeline looks like for a wedding. And by production timeline, I mean kind of that, that week before the wedding and what we do on which days and what we make on which days and all that stuff. And I think one of the things that really sticks in my mind when we first started was I assumed that if a wedding was on a Saturday, I needed to do as much work as humanly possible Friday night and Saturday morning because I wanted everything just to look and be perfect for Saturday afternoon. And in Australia, most of our wedding ceremonies happen say between kind of 2.30 and 4. 3, 3.30 is definitely most common. Um, but I think one of the things I really wanted to share with you guys was the idea that we actually start wedding production kind of 3, 4, sometimes even a few more days out from that. But I will literally talk you through kind of day by day what we do. And so there is a little download here that you can go to thrivepodcast.co slash eight and you can download the PDF um, that just talks you through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as a little example of our event day run sheet. Um, But just so that you have it, if you get distracted and aren't totally paying attention or you just want to jump right into the details and don't want to listen to the sound of my voice, that is totally fine as well. So this follows on from our couple, Kelly and Martin, who got married at a venue here in December of 2018. Um, As you guys might remember, back in a few weeks ago, I did a podcast where I talked through in detail their actual wedding quote. And so I'm just using that same wedding as an example and talking through what we do on each day in the lead up to the actual wedding day, which is on Saturday. And so you can go download that PDF at thrivepodcast.co slash eight. And so jumping into it on the week before the wedding, so on the Monday before the wedding, it's pretty common for us to still be doing a little bit of back and forth with the bride and groom. 
because I don't know, I feel like most of the time there's there's almost always I shouldn't say that, it's probably fifty not even fifty percent of the time. Twenty percent of the time there's still an addition. They want one more buttonhole, they want one more corsage, they haven't quite figured out exactly what the day's events are gonna be. And I think that's that's the nature of the couples A that we deal with who are a little bit more laid back and less fuss buckety about things. Um as well as the nature of people getting married in the quote country. And we live 90 minutes south of Sydney. So most of our couples actually travel down from Sydney and treat their wedding as a bit of an excursion with their family and friends. So people will come down for almost the whole weekend when they're getting married. The wedding's happening on Saturday. They might have come down on Thursday, Friday morning, and they'll stay until Sunday. And it, most of the venues around here actually operate, I mean, it's a small town, right? So we don't use wedding planners in particularly in our area. I think we've done of the 300 plus weddings that we've done, probably been a wedding planner involved in three of them, maybe. Um, So it's not a thing that is very common with us. And so in most instances, it's the couple that's actually then organizing everything. So they will have an event day sheet, run sheet, an event sheet that's the venue in most cases is actually put together because the venue needs to organize what time obviously drinks are starting and all the stuff and who the key contacts are for the celebrant and the orchestra if they're having one, DJ, florists, cake makers, etc, etc. So it's a bit of a different case than I know what most of you guys will run into, particularly if you're doing weddings in big cities. So there's a little bit less structure. And so sometimes for us that translates into still trying to sort through a few things on the Monday. Even in the wedding that we did this past weekend, the day before, the mom messaged me and said, hey, can we get three more buttonholes, one more corsage? I don't entirely know what their thought process is around some of that stuff, but I think they they just don't want people in their own family to feel left out or anything. And I'm totally fine for parents and mums. I guess mums are parents, aren't they? <laughs> For family members and the bride and groom, the couple to decide last minute that they want to add small things like buttonholes or corsages. We're usually pretty prepared for that type of thing. Always have a few extra little flowers around, but it's probably also one of the biggest benefits to owning a flower shop is that you can allow for that flexibility and just we don't get too stressed out about it. So um, that doesn't mean that you guys need to do that at all. You can be quite diligent and quite thorough in your quotes and sitting down with them and making sure that every little thing is sorted out because that in many cases will make your life way less stressful so if that's you do not be ashamed do not feel bad for doing that just tell them that's the way that you operate and don't don't worry too much if it you know if they don't quite respond as positively as you think that they should (laughs) anyway so getting back to the timeline on the monday we We'll always do a last kind of delivery um, confirmation setup schedule finalized with our clients. So triple checking as to like where are they getting ready, where do specific items need to be dropped off, where does she want her hair flowers, where does she want dad's buttonhole to go, if there's any flower girls, page boys, where does he want his buttonholes to go, etc., etc. Just working through some of those logistics so that we can then create an actual production event run sheet for the day and 
from there we'll actually create a production checklist and a, what is referred to here as a run sheet. So that is what time do you need to be and where do you need to be and who is responsible for that particular time frame. And we'll actually then share that run sheet with our production team. So me and Katie and Sloan, and if we have any freelancers helping us um, on that weekend, then we'll also share it with them. From there, we get into lots of the nitty gritty in the organization. So all that behind the scenes that happens in terms of having checklists. So we've um, really gotten in the habit, I should say, or really like to get into the habit. doesn't always happen in terms of creating what we refer to as a production checklist. And you can interpret this however you like. But one of the things that we've found is event days are very stressful, very stressful. Anything that you can do to alleviate that stress for yourself and your team and anyone who's helping you, even if that's your partner who's helping you load the van, anything you can do to alleviate some of that stress is brilliant. So I highly encourage you to do that. So one of the things that Sloan and I created was our production checklist. And for most of our weddings, we're doing some sort of setup on site or some sort of installation. And there are kind of our go-to things that we know that we need things that we can just put on a checklist. You could almost print out a hundred copies of it. You know exactly what you're making, but what are all the other things that you need to take with you? So towels, brooms, dustpans. We use a thing called a pop-up bin, um, which is what is actually used for gardening and like leaf collecting outside. So if you can go to Home Timber or Bunnings or look on Amazon for kind of collapsible garden bin might be a good phrase but um, we always will carry one of those with us so it's kind of like that's where we actually put our garbage if we're creating something on site and then we can sort through it when we get home in terms of composting recycling and what goes in the actual bin highly 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 encourage you to get those and get a heavy duty version if you have them because you'll very quickly learn that you like to drag that across the ground and to the bottom will wear out faster than you think so I will put a link to that in the show notes of the ones that we have that we got from Bunnings, which for anybody listening overseas is exactly like Home Depot, except that their logo's green, not orange. And everybody speaks it in an Australian accent. Anyway, <laughs> so we'll create a production checklist that includes what we know we need in terms of being on site that usually doesn't have anything to do with flowers, but all the um, kind of support materials that you'll need on the day. We'll then actually sit down and finalize the recipes for each design. So Katie goes in, our wedding and events manager, and she'll actually create the initial recipes, initial spreadsheet of what ingredients are going into which elements of the wedding. And then based on what's been finalized with the bride and groom and what I'm fairly certain will be at the market, we'll go through and just make sure that A, that those recipes all make sense, and B, that all the ingredients are going to be there. And we will talk through a little bit of if if this isn't there, then what can we get as an alternative? What's the, what's the purpose that this ingredient is serving? As an example of that, this past wedding, she wanted touches of kind of a very, very pale baby blue kind of tone. So it's uh, Love in the Mist or Nigella was, was the perfect, I guess, flower in her reference photo. But there was none to be had at the market. So we actually stumbled across some beautiful, absolutely beautiful, kind of quite short blue delphinium. 
so that pale pale blue where the center is almost kind of pinky mauve and it was it was so perfect so we ended up just substituting that um, in our recipes instead of the nigella so just coming up with with alternatives in terms of what is and isn't going to be at the market and I have always found if you plan for a plan b you'll never need your plan b so we're big fans of planning for a plan b knowing that that means plan a is full steam ahead on monday afternoon we'll then actually place our orders with the wholesalers so the only time that this would be a little bit different is if we know we have quite a massive wedding and we need to place an order for a significant amount of imported flowers then we'll actually place that order at least two weeks beforehand so if we're using the large you know the 50 centimeter long imported roses then we'll actually place that order at least two weeks beforehand just so that we know that the wholesaler will actually get all that product ordered in for us there's much less opportunity to kind of do that when it comes to domestic product in Australia. It can certainly, it's very easy to kind of order five or ten bunches of something, but you can't necessarily control the weather conditions, as everybody knows. So you can always earmark things with growers, but you nothing can be guaranteed. So we'll always kind of keep that open line of communication with the growers if we know we're looking for a large quantity of something specific. But we do everything in our power to never necessarily bank on the whole design of a wedding being set on one order from a wholesaler because it's so possible that that order will fall through. So as I just said, anyway, I cannot repeat this much, this too much, is I would very much suggest that you come up with a bit of a plan B and that certainly ties into kind of managing expectations with the client, but we'll talk about that just at a bit of a later date because I think that's that's kind of one of the cruxes of setting up a successful flower business. So that is our Monday. So just to recap, we're delivering and, sorry, we're finalizing the delivery and the setup schedule with the clients, creating our recipes for every element in our wedding. We have our flower order submitted to the wholesalers and we create our production checklist and our run sheet and we'll share that with our internal team. On Tuesday, we then actually switch over to preparing all of our hard goods or our sundries. And I like to do this on Tuesday just because as the week progresses, you have no idea what the week's going to bring. And when you're trying to manage a retail shop and weddings and events, it can all spiral out of control pretty quickly. So I have learned from experience that anything you can do to stay one step ahead or half of a step less behind sometimes... <laughs> is to your favor so we'll take an hour on Tuesday and just prep all of our sundries or hard goods so for Kelly and Martin's wedding we needed 10 glass vases so they were our cylinder 12 by 12 and that's 12 centimeters by 12 centimeter glass vases we needed 10 bud vases we needed 60 of our gold tea light card holders and candles and then we needed two timber stumps and two concrete urns for the ceremony. So we'll literally kind of go down to the shed, pull everything out, make sure everything's clean, ready to go. And we'll either literally pack it all and prep to be taken directly to the venue. Or if we know that we need those vases to do the centerpieces, then we'll just put those aside and we'll either take it down to the shop on that day or we'll just make sure it's in the van so that it's down there for the day that we're going to start actual production on those elements and that's all that we do on Tuesday and then on Wednesday I get up early and I head up to the Sydney flower market so the Sydney flower market is 
exactly 101 kilometers away from where we live. And it opens to the public at 5 a.m. So I wake up at 3.12 to be exact. And I'm on the road by about quarter to four and I'm there just exactly almost at five o'clock. I would say in most cases our stuff is pre-ordered and then I'll always grab a few extras off the floor itself. So we order from a very kind of finite list of wholesalers, people who have had a really long-standing relationship with our shop, people whose product I absolutely love and people whose customer service is quite good. So, um, there's, yeah, it's a kind of a small list of who we tend to order from, but I trust them and they know what we're after and that's all, kind of all that really matters. So I'll be at the flower market for, in some cases it's about an hour, hour and a half. In some cases it can be as little as half an hour. And then the other thing that we can do too, is if we need any extra sundries, ribbons, other vases, other containers, there is a sundries or hard goods shop at the market so we can do the same thing I shouldn't say the same thing so we can pick up anything extra we've recently in the past year or so because of the volume that we do at the shop have gotten into the habit of kind of putting a really big hard goods or sundries order in once a quarter and we found that incredibly helpful because oftentimes you'll notice when you're hitting kind of halfway through wedding season so many of the things that you're looking for that that shop should hold should carry they just don't have in stock because everybody's gone crazy and you know if there are thousands of weddings happening that that's that store you know can only keep up so much so anything you can do to stay a little bit ahead of yourself I wouldn't necessarily encourage you to put in massive orders on a quarterly basis unless you know you're going to go through that product um, because it can just sit there and you may end up actually changing your aesthetic or your design mechanics a little bit and then go, oh, I'm just never, ever, ever going to use that again. So don't want you guys to waste that money at all. But it does, if you can kind of keep a stock of things that you know that you use fairly often on hand, that's certainly worthwhile so that you don't have that any of that last minute stress of oh shoot, where's my ivory ribbon? And it turns out that you actually don't have any and then you have to deal with that panic in addition to everything else that's going on. So that's the thing. And then, so once I come home from the Sydney flower market, we will actually unpack and then we'll process all the flowers. So for us, we are very old school and I was taught from the previous shop owner some very... I think what it might be unusual, odd, non-traditional ways of processing some flowers. So in most cases, we will just trim the stems about two centimeters or an inch and then place it into cool water. In some cases, we will actually, if it's a harder stem product, we actually bash it with a hammer on the floor, scald it um, for 30 seconds in you know about an inch and a half of hot water and then place it into cool water. And some other product just gets scalded quickly in the hot water and then placed into cool water. So that's all just a little bit odd and I know a little bit non-traditional, but it's what we were taught to do and it works really well. And one of our things at our shop is that our customers are constantly complimenting us on how long our product lasts. So I have no intention of changing any of that processing stuff and I know that it's weird and I know that nobody else I have ever met does it that way and that's totally fine, totally fine. So we, as I said, unpack the van, process everything in the studio. So depending on the size of the wedding, in this instance of Kelly and Martin, we didn't actually start making anything until the Thursday. But we have in the past, if there are lots of 
table arrangements to make or lots of prep that we need to do, lots of little itty-bitty things that we need to free up time at the back end of the week. We have, in the past, actually started making table arrangements on the Wednesday. So that's something that I think I really wanted you guys to pick up on, is that we actually will start our wedding production three days out from the wedding. And I think when we first started, I didn't really clue in to me that flowers sitting in a vase and flowers sitting in a bucket are all flowers sitting in water. So they're all fine and well taken care of. Um, The thing that we spend a lot of time overseeing is how open some of the flowers are. So we have, in terms of kind of our logistics and setup, we have a fairly, well, I shouldn't say it's actually large because it's not, it's kind of room for two shelves and a person to stand, our cool room. And we also have a second cool room that we have at the house that's just more of like the size of one of those beverage fridges, like two doors, kind of can keep four buckets of roses in it. Um, It works really well if we need overflow in a cool room space from the shop. Um, It worked really well when we used to be in a shop that was tiny, 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 but now that the shop's a bit bigger, we're kind of using our fridge at home a little bit less. Um, So we have our cool room. We also have air conditioning in the shop, so that's something, and we have complete control over our air conditioning as well. So we've used that significantly more than we did in the previous shop. In our previous shop, we didn't actually have control over the air conditioning, which was a royal pen in the woo-hoo. So I would say... You don't necessarily need to have any sort of fridge or cool room if you have an air conditioner and if you have access to a space that you can make quite dark and cool. So we've actually found that keeping things in the dark is just as valuable as keeping things in an actual cool room or a fridge and that just trying to be able to control the amount of light things get really actually has more of an impact than the actual temperature around it so granted we're also based in Australia so we we have to deal with kind of that you know plus 100 degree Fahrenheit or you know 35 to 45 degree temperature days um, and deal with you know kind of very delicate roses and delicate um, you know, hydrangeas and dahlias and things like that that could just completely give up the ghost if it's too hot and they just don't want to, they decide they don't want to participate anymore. So I would say don't stress too much about actually getting a cool room if you have a place that's dark and cool. If you don't, then I don't know, I think it's absolutely worth spending a couple thousand dollars for your peace of mind um, and to alleviate the stress so that you guys could actually start making things two to three days beforehand. And I'm totally biased, in my opinion, because I, in my early days of doing floristry, we used to stay up until like one, two, three o'clock in the morning making things and then get up again at five or six in the morning. And I don't know what happens when you hit the age of 38 and I just can't do that anymore. So I don't want to work past seven o'clock at night. (laughs) And... So I'm happy to start production a little bit earlier and then do a lot of babysitting. I also know in the back of my head, if anything goes pear-shaped, I can get more product from the market on Friday. So that's one of the other big reasons that I'll go on Wednesday is if 
something completely collapses, if we know, you know, we either didn't order enough, we made a mistake in our ordering, or we ended up with crap product in something, that we always have that backup for Friday. So that's a huge level of peace of mind for me, is one of the reasons that we go on the Wednesday is so that we have a just-in-case scenario on the Friday. And you'll see a recurring theme here of this kind of just-in-case, and I find that a huge reliever of my own stress in trying to manage some of this stuff. So most of, I think, the wedding and event floors I see are up there on Wednesdays. Um, I've heard, particularly up in Sydney in the summer when it's quite warm, they'll end up shifting their days to Friday or they'll do like a small pickup of foliage on the Wednesday and then pick the rest up on Friday and start processing that way. If it was me, I would totally buy a cool room and buy everything on Wednesday and if I had to go back, I'd go back on the Friday. But again, 100% biased. <laughs> so to recap Wednesday, get up early and go to the flower market, come back, unpack, process everything. In this instance, we kept our roses out of the cool room, but we did not strip them. So they just sat with all their foliage on in their lots of water. Um, here's a little tip is if you strip the foliage off a flower, it will actually encourage the flower to open faster. So if you are picking something like, so in this instance, the, the roses were actually picked that morning. I went out to the farm and picked them up. And so we wanted them we know, we know we need them to open up kind of within three or four days. So instead of, we could have stripped them and then let them sit overnight and then put them in the cool room, but instead kind of, you know, took a bit of a different path, did not strip them and then prepped all the table arrangements the next day and then left the table arrangements, actually just sat in the cool room, sorry, sat on a shelf in the air conditioner, not actually in the cool room. So just to kind of find that balance between getting the roses to open and then not being too fluffy and not disintegrating on the day. But it's all just a bit of a play around and literally everybody's space and everybody's room and where you're working is a little bit different. So we had to get used to what the environment was in the new shop as compared to the old shop. And it's, I don't know, it's remarkable. Literally like the shop is a few meters away from the old shop. And because we have, you know, a bigger front, a bigger front window because we have direct access to outside because we have an air conditioner because we have a different light situation things open at a different rate so just experiment it experiment with it and figure out what works within the space that you have and that's me talking about all that so <laughs> and then moving on to Thursday so we are trying to get into the habit of actually then sorting all the product between like table arrangements, ceremony arrangements, bride bouquet, bridesmaids, and then we'll just kind of put all the extras aside, which will include all the wiring, cake flowers, hair flowers, all that stuff. And then we will always have extras as well. So we'll literally pull out the best flowers for the bridal bouquet and then sort between the rest of the elements as we go and label everything. On the Thursday, we then actually made the table arrangements. So in this instance, we only had to make 10 and they weren't very all that big. So it took Katie and I around two hours to do this. And then we made the bud vases as well. So there's only 10. So that took me about 20 minutes to make. So easy peasy lemon squeezy. On to Friday. We actually made the bridal bouquet on the Friday, so the day before the wedding. There was no bridesmaids bouquets to make, but we would have done the same thing. So we would have made the bridesmaids and the bridal bouquet all at least the day before. Um, leave the handle really, really long and fill it up with quite a bit of water. And 
just make sure that your container doesn't have a hole in it. <laughs> we actually will make and probably start the day off on Friday morning making the bridal bouquet and the bridesmaids bouquets and then we'll get into all the wiring and I know this might I don't know, it's kind of surprises people to know that we actually make a bridal bouquet the day before. And some, bri some brides, I shouldn't say that, some florists actually will make the bridal bouquet on the morning of the wedding. I also know other florists that will make it at least, at least two days before the wedding. So figure out what works for you guys. Don't feel like you have to set, sit yourself to some schedule and play around and see, see what works, see what doesn't. In this past wedding that we just did this past weekend, Katie made the bouquets on the Thursday and it was for a Saturday wedding. And so, you know, she made them on the Thursday. We literally put them on the bottom shelf of the cool room, filled the vases all the way up with water. And then we pulled them out on Saturday morning, gave them a zhuzh, pulled off any kind of bruised rose petals, fluffed it. And then we, you know, ribboned the handles and, and set them out the door. So just... I guess don't be, don't give yourself too much pressure on the day of the event. You know, if you decide that you really like waking up on Saturday morning and making her bouquet to get into the mood of the day, that's amazing. Run with it and do it. Um, if you decide you just want to make them on the Thursday or the Friday beforehand, that's all good too. So just find what works for you guys and just, as I said, go with it. In terms of wiring, that's something that we'll almost always do the afternoon before the wedding. In some cases, if we have enough time, we'll do it on the morning of. Um, with our buttonholes, we actually don't wire them per se, but we use um, we have exposed stems, and so if we can, if we can, we'll make our little kind of clusters of buttonholes and parafilm them together, and then we'll put them in a little, I don't know peanut butter jar, mustard jar of water, put them in the cool room, and then we'll put the ribbon on them the next day. So that's just a different way to go about that. And I'm thinking I might do a little video to show you guys how we make our buttonholes. So in the instance of Kelly and Martin's wedding, we had six buttonholes to make, and then we had six flower crowns to make. So we made those the afternoon before as well and then there's two wrist corsages and then two lapel corsages for the sisters and the moms so all of that wiring work um, took us quite a quite a bit of time but that was all Friday afternoon and then we actually will itemize out on this production list a wrap and pack section so it takes a long time to prepare everything for presentation and we think that first impression means a lot to the bride you know, they're spending a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money with us and we want to walk into that room with a bit of a gasp. And a, you know, and so much of that has to come down to the little things and how you package things up. You know, what color tissue paper you use, how you present your buttonholes, the little labels and all the little things that you see on Pinterest and Instagram and the cuteness factors of all the bits. So, you know, don't feel bad about spending time figuring out how you want to package things and, you know, kind of make it your own. And also... Don't feel like you have to have it all sorted out at the beginning. Ours has kind of evolved and we've ordered fancy labels online. And if you know somebody who's got beautiful handwriting, take advantage of it. If you've got beautiful handwriting, I'm jealous. Um, I had to default to designing a few things and getting them printed just because my handwriting is atrocious. But it's all kind of added up and I think we've landed in a place that's pretty good. Um, could still use a little bit of refinement, but our buttonholes and corsages are actually presented on a very simple you know brown paper wrapped piece of cardboard and then use a few little fancy pins to 
pin the pieces on and then we will handwrite our little labels and pin them on as well. So nothing too complicated, but it really helps the situation. And then Saturday. So Saturday morning we finish the bridal bouquet and that includes kind of taping and ribboning that handle and then we put the ribbon on the buttonholes and we wrap and pack all the personal items. So the bridal bouquet and the buttonholes. And that's essentially everything for the prep side of things. And then you get into the actual loading of the van and just making sure you have your schedule for the day. So in this instance, I'll just talk through what the event schedule was. So we had earmarked 12 to 2 p.m. to deliver the personal flowers. So her ceremony wasn't going to be until 4 o'clock. Um, and so we had a little bit of time. Do you also remember on this day it was freaking hot? It was probably 38, which is what, like 110 degrees Fahrenheit? It was hot, 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 hot. And although the ceremony space takes place in a little bit of shade and it's next to a lake and there's always a nice little breeze, we do everything in our power to start set up as close to the ceremony as we can without giving ourselves too, too much stress to say we can't finish it. So we'll, in this instance, we delivered the personal flowers to, we had one drop-off point at the bride's place. So she had her bouquet, she had her dad's buttonhole, and then she had the two wrist corsages and the two lapel corsages. And then the groom was staying in a totally separate place and he had his buttonhole and then the four page boy buttonholes and then he also had the six flower crowns for the girls. So those two drop-offs were made and then we had a little bit of time to kill and so we rendezvoused again at the ceremony space at three o'clock. So we knew it would take us around an hour from the time that we pulled up at the ceremony space to make the urn arrangements, pack up our stuff, have enough time for photos and that kind of thing and have a quick chat with the celebrant, the photographer, you know, the people at the ceremony space, all that stuff. So we give ourselves the time limit of usually around half an hour before the ceremony begins. At this particular venue, they don't allow guests to have access to the space until they say so. So we know we have that little bit of leeway. There's always one or two people who manage to make it through though. So, but we haven't you know, I think we've kind of gotten over that whole not wanting to be seen before the actual ceremony set up. We certainly don't want to still be having a giant mess um, as most of the guests are arriving, but we're not so afraid anymore of showing a little bit of the magic behind the scenes. And in its worst case scenario, we'll always, you know, as soon as the celebrants arrived, we know we got a motor. If we're not done, we got to pull our finger out and make it all happen. So that's, just the way that we approach these things. And so then at 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. we had the reception set up. So in this instance, we had those 10 table arrangements and our 10 little bud vases. We also had our 60 tea light candles, so we had to place them and it was our responsibility to light them. And just a little note on that, if you are prepping your candles yourself um, for the wedding and when you're doing that on a Tuesday or a few days beforehand, Pull up the wicks on your tea lights when you actually put them in your candle holders, just because then when you place your candle holder on the table, you don't have to do another thing then and then light the candle. So just pull your wicks up on your lights before you actually put them in the candle holder. Bingo bongo. Uh, back to the reception setup. So in styling, so name cards were supplied by the bride and groom and we had 120 guests. So we do require them to actually pre-sort the name cards as well as provide us with the venue table setup as well as their own 
um, name charts. So those three things are left for us in this back room. They provided the menus, we have to set up the gift table, and then we're also responsible for the seating chart. So this is just something that's very specific to this venue. They're very clear about where the responsibility starts and where it ends, and we're more than happy um, to suggest to the bride and groom that we will actually set up those elements for them. We do charge um, to do that job because the name cards can be a royal pain in the ding-dong. Um, probably one of our most stressful times sometimes <laughs> the name cards. Lots of arguments between Sloan and I. I shouldn't even say arguments, debates, terse words, because <laughs> it's stressful if they're not in order or if somebody hasn't set the number of chairs up right. Anyway, you get through it. It's fine. Uh, the last thing that we had to do for the reception setup is move the ceremony elements up to the reception room. And I know lots of florists have mixed feelings on whether flowers can be repurposed from the ceremony to the reception space. And I certainly think that they can be. In this instance, we also know that, you know, the photographer isn't necessarily going to have a huge amount of time to come into the reception and take photos before all the guests actually come into the reception. And that's just purely around the timing at this venue and, you know, the list of what photos the couple might want to have with the photographer. So we're not necessarily worried that too many people are going to see photos of our work that's been repurposed in that particular venue. So that's something that's just to keep in mind. I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's just, I think some people get really hung up on the idea of, oh, but that was designed for this particular space, so how can you repurpose it over here? And it's very rare that we'll get too fussed on that. I'm certainly an advocate for being able to repurpose and make your budget go as far as possible. We don't do it very often, but we have taken archway flowers off and then rehung them from the ceiling. Definitely some zhuzhing that needs to happen when you do that. Um, but if it is possible, and I think it's straightforward, we can certainly suggest it to the bride and groom. Again, we're always charging for that. So that additional time it takes, particularly at this venue, where you have to actually get in the car, drive to the ceremony space, load it in the van, bring it up, cable tie it to the beam, zhuzh it, clean up after yourself. You know, sometimes it's worth it, sometimes it's not. So... Um, just something to keep in mind, you know, and, and don't be shy to educate, you know, your couple on the pros and cons of moving stuff from a ceremony space up to the reception. I think that they think, you know, the flowers will be totally fine and they'll look completely untouched and why wouldn't you just pick them up and move them? But if they've never picked up an urn and tried to move it in a van and move it like 800 meters, then they'll have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's another opportunity for education, but that's, just a personal opinion that we have. So, uh, And then in this instance, we have to do the strike or the bump out on that night. So it was a late one. It was 11.30 p.m., but we went and actually pulled out all the flowers from the table arrangements, wrapped them up in brown paper, and gave them to the guests so that they could take them home. Did the same with the flowers that were in the urns, and then just gave them to the guests so that they could take them home. And then we packed everything into the van and went to bed. So that is just a quick rundown on the day. In many cases where we live, we can actually pick the items up the next day. We've had a couple times where things have been taken. So if you're not too fussed and you're happy if somebody nicks something, then don't get too stressed out about it. But in lots of cases, we're now actually opting to go bump out 
or strike that night just because I'm kind of tired of other people stealing my candle holders, which is too bad. Anyway, so that is, I hope that made sense to you guys, but that is the rundown of what kind of a week looks like. And I haven't, you know, talked about all the preamble that you do with the bride and the couple beforehand or, you know, any sort of follow-up that you need to do, let alone, you know, cleaning your candle holders and your vases after the fact. But that, um, I guess I just wanted to make the point to say, you know what, don't, don't shy away from starting your wedding production a few days sooner than you think. I guess just learn how to manage your product, learn how things behave in your space, um, learn how you can get things to open, Look, learn how you can get things to kind of stay where they are and how to care for your flowers and, and just experiment it with experiment with it a little bit. And I think anything you can do to kind of take the stress off, even if you can just take 1% of it off on the day, I don't know, it will all add up and just really help contribute to a more enjoyable experience, which is what this should be. So I do hope that that's helpful. And would love, love, love to hear from you guys. If you have any questions, thoughts, ideas for shows, um, yeah, visit thrivepodcast.co and definitely we'll jump on and happy to do, happy to answer any questions you guys have, anything, anything, anything. And don't forget too, we started a new series on Instagram Live called Thrive Live, where we will pick a topic and then happy to also jump in and answer any question and answers you guys have. So if you can join us live, it is 9 a.m. on Thursday, Australian Eastern Standard Time, or that is 2 p.m. Wednesday afternoon if you're on the west coast of Canada or the U.S., or I think it's 10 p.m. if you're over in the U.K. So as I said, if you guys have any questions, so feel free to go to thrivepodcast.co or follow us on Instagram at littlebirdbloom and send us a DM or a quick little love note. Thank you guys so much. Do share this podcast with your friends if you think anybody would enjoy listening to my weird Canadian-Australian accent. And if you feel so inclined, would love it if you wanted to leave a review as well. So thank you guys so, so much. And I hope you're having a beautiful day and sending you so much joy and love. Talk to you soon. Bye.